Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seven-generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, back uh yet again back again (laughs) (laughs) round three there's something you will never hear patreons will never hear no one else will never hear no it was great we had such a great interview or intro for you guys like we were we were on a roll we were hilarious and charming you would have loved it Uh uh-huh but the computer glitched out and so now you're going to get this intro instead sorry well we did talk about how tired you were we did yes let me reiterate you you were extremely tired i was extremely tired last week Yes. I worked 60 hours in three and a half days somehow. Took some naps. 
Well, tell everybody what you're doing because it's kind of interesting. Um, you get to do interesting things at your job. I do, yeah. And um, one of those is um, auditions for the TV show The Voice. Whenever they come to to Nashville, I get to run sound, and I can't, you know, I can't talk about anyone specific or anything, sure. obviously. But like, uh, I think in my room we did about 200 interviews or 200, um, you know, contestants going up, and in uh, three days. And so it's like it's 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 really fast paced, really intense, but it's it's a lot of fun, and they're a great crew. I love working with them, and it's you get to hear some really really good vocalists too. So, do you hear anybody that just absolutely just like sucks? Yeah, well, the way the process works is like they'll um, they do like an open cattle call thing <laughs> where people just show up, and then they take yeah. them in groups of ten, and they have them sing a cappella real quick, and anyone that they think is decent, they're just like okay, you know, and it's it's real quick. So then they call them back for like scheduled interviews, you know, in the next couple of days. And some of them, yeah, some of them, I don't know how they slip through. <laughs> so you get like three, you pretty much have like three days of this. Mm-hmm. So like how many finalists do they, or I guess not finalists, but how many people like make the cut? Like how many made the cut <laughs> from Nashville? Do you know? I don't know, but I, yeah. if, if I had to guess, I'd say somewhere between one and 200. Hmm. And that's all, all filmed. And then that gets sent off to the other producers to, to kind of sift through and decide who they like best, and so you don't have anybody like William Hung that that is in there. I don't you know who that what, is. Do you remember William Hung from American Idol like ten years ago? Oh yeah, he was like the ocean or something, and he uh, he he just had to like it was like completely terrible. But they actually really he actually released an album. It, it's some of the most glorious stuff you could ever <laughs> imagine. No, and see that's why that's what I love about working with them is like they they really do. I mean, you know, they're making a TV show and they've they've got to strive for ratings, but at the same time, they really are there, like trying to find passionate, good singers. And the people that don't get on, the, they give them good advice. They're like, you know, this is something you should work on. Here's something to focus on. Come back and see us again next year. You yeah. know, and they they really, I mean, they they have a lot of integrity. And well, yeah, you need to look up William Hung, man. I, I remember. He him. will never be the same. I mean, honestly. The guy was so inspiring. <laughs> he he really truly was. You know, I mean, uh what's his name? The British guy on American Idol. He may have hated him, but the rest of the world loved William Hung. I can tell you that for I can tell you that right now. He did an awesome version of a Hotel California and We Are <laughs> the Champions, among others. But uh I had a great time. I was gone for a few for about ten days. And I was in Atlanta, and then I ended up in Chattanooga. It was where my parents live. And hung out there, watched the inauguration. But uh, first in Atlanta, I was uh, hanging out for my friend's birthday party. Uh, turned 40 years old. And uh, later on, we went out uh, a couple of days later and had dinner with Joshua Cutchin and Randall Carlson. Got those two guys together. Uh, talk to Randall about some of the things that he's been working on, which includes uh, something that deals with your hometown, Rob. That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah. And uh, about so the possibility of a meteor shower that caused the Chicago fire. Uh, so, so we'll probably get uh, Randall on. I'm going to get Randall on sometime again this year to talk about all that stuff because uh, the guy is fascinating, man. I mean, he, he yet again blew our collective minds. So, you know, <laughs> just always. like we're just like, we're, there's like, there's like gray matter leaking out of our ears. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting theory that um 
he brought it up. My hometown, well, me and Alyssa both grew up yep. in Manistee, Michigan, and he was saying that there was a bunch of other fires that broke out around the same time as the Chicago fire. So we Wikipedia just before recording, and there's a the whole article about it, and it it, it doesn't link it the source directly to the Chicago fire. It says that the same winds that mm-hmm. built up the Chicago fire might have, may have contributed, but it lists like five places around Michigan that also caught fire at the same time. And they say the most likely cause was meteor strikes or lightning. So yep. Yep. Lends a lot of credence there. Yep. It's interesting stuff. I and mean, he always puts things together in this kind of, it's almost like, I guess a quasi astrological way, things that happen in the procession of the equinoxes and, uh, interesting correlations between the the movement of the stars and constellations and it's all like really complex and complicated so <laughs> right a whole other show it's we, math yeah we need to get him back on i think he's going to go out west i think sometime in may uh i'd love to go do something like that but i just don't have the money or the time and we may be going somewhere in the middle of the month more in the middle of the year we uh more on that, but just think about the 70th anniversary or something for everybody out there. Oh, uh, guys, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the inauguration. Um, kind of hard not to. I mean, that's all everybody's talking about right now. Um, I did get a chance to watch it. I basically watched most of the whole thing. Um, it's interesting. It, well, I want to get your thoughts on it little bit rob but what you thought about it did you watch any of it no i i haven't got a chance to go back and watch it yet i've just heard bits and pieces and not enough to really have any kind of educated opinion um uh i know that he has put through some executive orders um going after the the trans-pacific partnership and Mm -hmm. a few other things which i gotta say i don't disagree with completely um, I, yeah. I like the idea, uh, like I was saying, of uh, you know focusing more on America, not trying to police the world. And yeah, yeah, I do too. Those are good ideals. We'll see where he takes it. Yeah, uh, for the most part, I thought his speech was well was well done. I mean, that it was like automatically Trump got a lot of flack over the speech, of course, from the media. You know, imagine that. <laughs> there were some things in the speech that I think were a little unsettling. Um, some of the things for me that were probably unsettling was talking about uh, the strengthening, you know, we need to strengthen our military. We need to strengthen the police. We're going to go after the, go after the criminals in the city, the kind of like law and order stuff that, that you, that you hear. Um, This is why part of the reason I don't think that Trump is going to be a small government guy. I think he's going to be pretty big government and people that think that he's going to be the one that's going to, anytime that you're going to be, Using the government t- towards those ends of cleaning up the streets, quote unquote, that means that you're going to have, that means you're going to have an increase in government power. Uh, but as far as, yeah, putting America first, um, I also like what he said about there being an example for the rest of the world and not necessarily the policeman for the rest of the world. Uh, I think this is going to be a big, this could be, emphasis on could be a big shift in our policies as, as we, in the way that we look towards the rest of the world, what is going to happen? What's going to be the alignments that are going to occur? How, how are we going to relate to NATO? How are we going to relate to Russia? How are we going to relate to China? 
what is you know how what how are we going to become more and more inward and looking at our own business over here are we going to is something going to happen that's going to occur to to yes to have us yet again become the world's policeman I think only time will tell uh you heard certain things like this I remember when George W. Bush was elected, they talked about compassion and conservatism. They talked about leaving the rest of the world alone. But then 9-11 happened, and that's not what we got. So we shall see. Um, and we'll see what his economic policies are going to bring. Today, uh, we're recording this on January 23rd at night. Uh, he met with a bunch of economic and business leaders and talk to them about bringing jobs back from overseas and paying basically paying american workers and so we shall see i'm going to reserve judgment on any kind of trump administration for the moment that's just how it's going to be uh he's not going anywhere for four years now as far as uh did you see the protests you see any of that no, I actually haven't even heard about any of it. See, that was another aspect on that day, Inauguration Day. Uh, there were protests going on in Washington, D.C., and some of them got pretty violent. Um, fairly close to the parade route, to the um, Inauguration Parade route, there was a lot of protests going on. Police had those, like I guess, those flash grenades and some tear gas. Uh, they had people in mass throwing rocks at the police. They, I, I even saw at one point they had this little like barricade going or like half-ass kind of barricade where they took some of the, uh, it was like well, the, the newspaper dispensers and like trash cans and mailboxes and had them like strewn on the streets. Like they were using them as barricades against the police. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, later on in the day, there was somebody set a limousine on fire, and they were breaking store shop. They were breaking store windows, and all kinds of stuff, man. And the police are just just kind of like keeping them away, kind of keeping them away from the parade route. Not really like you know, not beating anybody up. But they were arresting people. I think they said that they arrested like two hundred and sixty people. I think was the final count. I was just like, this is crazy. So here's this here's this political violence going on, okay? Because they don't they don't like Trump, they don't agree with him. It's it's fine to protest, and there were peaceful protesters, but then it gets into violence and it gets into political violence. And as we said before, that's that is like that's that's to me inimical to democracy. And if Trump is going to react to this in a way that is going to be, if he's going to start cracking, if he himself is going to start cracking down, using the government power to crack down on, on protesters, that's when shit's going to get really interesting. Okay. And when it comes from the other side. Now, the next day, Saturday, there was the women's March in Washington, D.C. And I thought that was for the most part positive. I mean, it was peaceful. There, it was just a peaceful demonstration. People had some interesting signs, you know. From what I saw, I, I it was just it, it was what it was. It was a protest movement. People 
exercising their First Amendment rights. Um, all except for the woman that I saw that uh, had the shirt, the black and white shirt that said love abortion on it. You know, and, and you know, you had women dressed like vaginas and weird shit like that. But, you know, that's just the kind of thing that happens, I guess. Peaceful. <laughs> yeah, it was still peaceful. Exactly. No limousines were set on fire. Nobody was throwing rocks at the cops. Exactly. So, yeah, that's uh, that was uh, inauguration, inauguration day. Uh, it was funny at a certain point, <laughs> you know, Trump was talking about, Trump was talking about Americans, about, about patriotism. All right. So yeah, in Trump's speech, he's talking about Americans, America for Americans. Right. And, uh, it was interesting as I'm watching the, as I'm watching this, inauguration coverage they go to this little luncheon and so this thing takes like an hour and i switch over so i don't want to watch any of that so i switch over to uh one of the showtime channels at my parents house and they're playing gangs of new york have you ever <laughs> seen gangs of new york i have okay so daniel day lewis's character is a he plays a nativist Someone that uh, at the time was against uh, immigration of any kind in the United States, even though their ancestors have been immigrants, but whatever. Right. Mostly at this period in the time of Gangs of New York, which is during the Civil War, this is the this is the um, immigration against the Irish. Okay. And at this, his name is Bill Cutting. Is his character Bill the Butcher, and he's in this. Uh, He's in this like Chinese place and they're celebrating this uh, battle that he had fought against Leonardo DiCaprio's character's father, right? Liam Neeson in the movie. One of my favorite movies of all time, by the way. And he says, he says he's got this little, he says, uh, he says something like enough of this, enough of this madness, uh, this, this monkey music talking about the Chinese music he says we need real music this is a night for americans and then the little then the people come out with their little hats and that the the flag in the background and they got the drums and i'm like thinking man nothing has changed in 150 <laughs> years i was like this is the exact this is the perfect juxtaposition for what i just saw so with that said guys um we have aaron david coming on uh aaron is a fellow podcaster he has a podcast called charm the water that he does and he is also a someone that i guess i don't know dabbles but i think maybe is more of an occultist but we're going to talk about some of his viewpoints on the occult and on christianity and rob if you're ready we'll go ahead and go to the interview sounds good all right we'll be back guys on conspiracy normal Hi, right, welcome back, guys. To conspiracy normal, not that we ever left anyway. But so uh, we are here on the line. We have Mr. Aaron David, and I got to know Aaron. We were kind of thrown together because we were on a roundtable episode of Where Did the Road Go? And what was funny about that was when Soraya contacted me to see if I wanted to come on, and of course I said yes. Uh, I asked him who else it was going to be, and he said, "He said it's going to be Joshua, Aaron, and Aaron David." 
And I said, well, I don't know Aaron and David. Who are they? <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said, oh, no, it's Aaron David of Charm the Water podcast. And that's who we have on now. So just a little funny story there. I thought you were two different people, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I appreciate appreciate you guys having me on. It's great to be yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been listening to your show um, as well. I'm kind of kind of like in the first few episodes, and I skipped ahead a little bit to listen to uh, some of the later episodes. I could kind of like mm-hmm. get a good account of where you are now. I haven't heard some of the I haven't heard some of the latest ones, but I'm real curious because you know we had talked about. On that roundtable, we kind of got into a little bit about Christianity, and we got into a little bit about the occult and how the two come together. But before we kind of get into that, I want to just kind of like get, you know, tell me about Charm the Water, the podcast, what it is that you, you know, what it is that you, you're trying to accomplish by doing the podcast, what you're trying to, to get through to people, what you want people to know about, you know, uh, kind of like your journey. Yeah, uh, I guess this was last, I want to say June, possibly May. I've been listening to uh, podcasts for, gosh, a few years and uh, had wanted to do one. And um, I got into listening to Gordon White from Rune Soup. And one day he used the phrase, charm the water. And that just like clicked with me. And I was like, that's it. That's the name of the podcast I'm I'm going to start up. So I uh, did it and uh, I center on the occult and uh, hoodoo and woo woo and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, I have had a couple of Christian guys on, one a pastor yeah. from Soma. And so we do go here and there, or I do. Yeah, I did listen to that show, and that was very interesting. I kind of want to get into some of that a little later. Nice. What, what, what was the what was the phrase that he meant by "charm the water"? What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and find the episode that I that he uh, said that in. He was using it as a sort of term uh, as uh, kind of influencing the people in culture, I believe. But I can't remember exact exactly uh, the context. Because hmm. I, I love the title. It's it's a great title for a show. Yeah, something about it when I heard him say that. And I never had heard him use that term before, but it just kind of uh, clicked with me. I know, you know, Josh, Joshua Cutchin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, that's, I believe, how I met Josh is through talking about Uncle Gordy, as he calls him. So I know we're both big yeah, yeah. I've heard an interview with him on Where Did the Road Go? I'm not too familiar with him and his work, but uh, I'd like to get a little more. I think, that, what is it, uh, Starships? Is that the name of the book that he wrote? Yeah, uh, I, I have Josh got talks my about him on. all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested to know a little bit more about him. Is it Rune, Sh- Rune Soup? Is that his podcast? Or is that yeah. someone else? Yeah, that's him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I get an email where he talks about political stuff and... Uh, it's sort of an occult podcast, but he his email is really good and centers on more political stuff and uh, what he sees in culture and society. Really interesting. But yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, him and uh, you know you guys that I've heard in the paranormal. I guess one of the first paranormal shows I heard was uh, Jim Harold 
And then shortly afterwards, Soraya, and of course, uh, Darkness Dave, and you know, just all these. I picked them up, picked them up, and uh, got so into podcasts. I pretty much listen to them all day, every day at work. So that adds up quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, same here, brother. I mean, I do a podcast, and the reason I got into it was because of other shows. Um, I discovered Where Did the Road Go way after I started Conspiranormal. But uh, mm-hmm. now that's kind of become my favorite show, really, honestly, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to listen to. Um, but other, you know, I started out listening to other shows. Uh, one was uh, actually guys from North Carolina called World of the Unexplained. Um, mm. I don't know if you ever listened to them, but they were kind of like mm-hmm. in the Kernersville, uh, Winston-Salem area. And I'm still uh-huh. really good friends with one of them, Jay Scott. And we talk from time to time. And it's um, it was one of those shows that, you know, he had... They were they were kind of like furiously right wing Christian, but then they would have all these weird new age guests on, and they would huh. have uh, they would they would talk to people like Linda Godfrey and John Zaffis and and these type of people, and I would just listen to this show religiously. I would go to sleep listening to this thing. I was like mm. probably twenty eight, twenty nine years old, and uh, yeah, so they were a huge influence on me, and so. But the, and then another one, of course, Future Quake was big for me too. That was our mm. good friend, Doctor Future, who I'm sure you've heard on the show. Uh, and once he stopped doing his shows, when I started doing Conspiranormal, but mm. some of the other, but some of the other shows like uh, Where Did the Road Go and, and others that that I've picked up since then, Graylian Report, uh, who Micah Hanks, near neck of the woods mm-hmm. here in Asheville, yeah. Uh, you know, those have been big influences on me too, as well. So just even after stops conspiracy normal. So I totally get what you're saying. I mean, like you, like pod. I mean, I live and breathe podcasts, man. It's yeah, like it's, all it, the time. <laughs> before, I mean, you know, there's all these people on this post-industrial workforce, just a yeah horrible landscape, and then to find podcasting and find people who think like you and. uh we're into the same things you are is is just really amazing. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the best things about it. I'm also gotten into histor- history podcasts lately too. So mm-hmm. that's a, another one. It's another aspect of it that I love as well. Uh, so I want to talk to Aaron about your your background. And because you kind of, am I correct in saying that you kind of grew up in kind of like the charismatic Christian kind of oh, yeah. setting? Yeah. So how did you go from that to getting into like the occult? <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up, my uncle had a church, uh, Asheville Full Gospel Tabernacle. And um, so I was exposed to some wild wackiness uh, early on with Pentecostals. Um, you know, they're pretty mystical into things like prophecy and dreams and healing and stuff. A lot of the other denominations wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole. (laughs) And uh, then, uh, you know, kind of was just, uh, that was part of my life, but I really didn't investigate it fully for myself as like, okay, I'm going to say now I, I'm going to claim professed to be a follower of Christ and uh, so that happened around 2010-ish uh, when I met my ex-wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, 
at this point, the church was uh, Michael Boyd's son, and uh, it's it's a, a Assemblies of God church. And so, you know, I had a weird experience there. Um, uh, actually, while they were doing on a, a study on the Holy Spirit and Acts and, you know, the, the fire falling and, and you speaking in tongues and all this, I actually... While I was asleep, woke up speaking in tongues and uh, kind of had this vision of Jesus on the throne above me and this sort of evil presence I couldn't see to my left. And uh, I never knew what to make of that. I was just like, okay. Uh, but at that point, I started getting into uh, the Pentecostal doctrines and... Um, because I, I guess I'm sort of an extremist. I want to be fully on board with something or not. So I said, if I'm going to embrace this, I need to look into it. And so when I did, I started saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not agreeing with a lot of these doctrines. And uh, I'm curious about you. I wanted to ask you, Adam, what, um, what kind of background you had in, uh, in the church. Or if you have a background in the church. I know you profess to be a Christian as well. Well, um, I, I'd say like I kind of had a weird like when I growing up, turning the tables on me, Aaron. Uh, <laughs> when I when I grew growing up, man, um, my dad, um, my dad was an atheist, which mm-hmm. he is no longer. He's a Methodist now, oh. uh, and my mother, she had grown up Greek Orthodox. Oh wow! But uh, she. For whatever reason, you know, because she had married my dad and my dad was an unbeliever, so they would not let him in the church um, and mm. the Greek Orthodox Church. So she went to, I guess she felt what was the next best thing, and that would have been the Episcopal Church. So I actually mm-hmm. I actually grew up in the Episcopal Church. Ah, so and I've heard them referred to as Catholic Light. Catholic Light, right. <laughs> So I grew up in that, but uh, it didn't really stick. I mean, I can remember being going to like some Baptist church camp and, you know, giving your life to Christ. Yeah. And later on, I guess, rejecting that. So I became, I guess, what you would call maybe as, a, as an atheist or not really an atheist, but an agnostic, because I believed there was a God, but I didn't really believe in the Christian God type of thing. Mm-hmm. And later on in my life, I I finally, after all the kind of study that I did, and really a lot of it had to do with, with studying all this kind of weird stuff that I look into and thinking to myself, you know, if I can believe all this weirdness about UFOs and aliens, like I can believe a guy was crucified and resurrected and resurrected after three days and paid the penalty for my sins, I can believe that too. So mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, I realized made the mental leap and the then made the faith leap and became a Christian after that. And I have been ever since. I don't know how good a Christian I am, but uh, <laughs> but I do I do consider myself I do consider myself a Christian. I mean, I I, I do go to church occasionally. Um, you know, probably not as much as I feel that I should. 
but I do have some people like Dr. Future um, who try to encourage me and mm. try to get me on the right path. Um, people well, that I really respect, you know. The, you, I remember from uh, Soraya's show you saying you had some um, paranormal stuff growing up. Yeah. And so it's interesting that that kind of was key into you coming like back around to Christianity. I would say that's that's what happened in my case. Right. Um, once I left the Pentecostal uh, people, I've been dabbling so far in theology. I, I got a hold of Calvin and Luther, and this was just like turning the light on for me. This was what I've been craving, um, just very rational, laid out, systematic mm-hmm. examination mm-hmm. of Scripture. And I was like, this is this is what I've been waiting on, as opposed to, you know, the charismatics are very based in their feelings and emotions right. and, and all that. Right. And so I was just starved for something intellectual. And the charismatics I encountered were very anti-intellectual yeah. and very discouraging. And so I, I washed my hands of them and uh, went to a Baptist church and got married. And um, actually, I got married at the Pentecostal church, but that marriage only lasted... <laughs> around a year, even though we'd been together about eight or nine years, hmm. uh, in that time, like the theology, you know, there's a scripture that says knowledge puffeth up in like the King James. Uh, that's exactly what happened. Um, like I thought everybody was wrong, but you know, I, I had all these, the Bible figured out, um, and everybody needed to, to have my view on things. Mm-hmm. And it, I would essentially, I would just argue with everybody. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like an atheist. Like I love YouTube. Like uh, this guy named Matt slick, atheist and Christian apologists love each other. Really? I mean, they love to hate each other. It's like sports yeah. Yeah, 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 to yeah, watch yeah. them. You know, they kind of um, loved arguing with each other. That's, that's kind of who I became. And, uh, I had delusions of being a Christian apologist one day. And uh, so then my wife left and uh, that kind of all fell away. And uh, I just decided, you know, that was the most traumatic thing in my life yet. Uh My dad had died right before that. And uh, so this this stuff just all hit and I just kind of walked away from church. You know, I had prayed and prayed and prayed. And when it was, uh, apparent that my wife wasn't coming back. I was just like, well, screw you, God, I'm, I'm done. You know, this is, this is all, you know, not only are the charismatics ridiculous, ineffective, not relative to anything going on in reality. Uh, theology is, is irrelevant too. It doesn't save anybody. You know, it's just, it's useless. And so I just dropped it all. And uh, somewhere along the way, I I, uh, met a guy named Rufus Opus. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sent me his Neoplatonic Basics. And that was it. Uh, From that point on, that was my entryway into the occult. Hmm. Interesting story there about that. Um, About what you said about... uh looking at things from a rationalist perspective or, you know, um, one of the reasons why I like the church that I go to when I actually go 
is uh, it's a Calvary Chapel, and uh, you know I, they're kind of based in the whole. I guess they're based out of the like Jesus freak movement, um, mm-hmm. in from the seventies. But uh, right, I think the, Chuck the, Smith was yeah, the guy who, yeah, right, right. But 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 they take a very there's there's almost a very rational approach to some of the things that they do, at least as far mm-hmm. as my church is concerned, because it was very refreshing to me because I'd been in. I guess it was kind of like a kind of a charismatic uh, environment, and I really, I really did not take to it very well. Mm-hmm. It really just did nothing for me. Uh, essentially, I just, I, I really, it, a lot of that stuff really made me uncomfortable. Yeah. On to be honest with you, and when I got into Calvary Chapel and I saw this, these people that were, well, it was just no BS. It was we are reading yeah. the Bible straight yeah. through. Yeah, we're not we're not we're not you, you know we're not going to you know pick out the things where you can live your best life now and yeah. you know Jesus is going to get you a car or, mm-hmm. you know he's going to send you a check after so many weeks like the Peter Popoff junk. You oh know? gosh, uh, it, <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> that because I saw some of that on TV the other day with my dad. I was telling we, him I was telling him who Peter Popoff is, but anyway, uh, yeah, and Benny Hinn and Joyce Meyer, right, and right, right. Dollar. We could right. go on all day. Yeah, long. yeah, yeah. And all all the all those shysters. <laughs> yes, and it, it, yeah. So there was that mixture of that, and then there was a mixture of just you know, let's anoint the doorway to the house and all the, like, no, I, mm. you know, I just wasn't comfortable with it. And so, so yeah, I mean, that very no nonsense approach that I really liked, um, as far as, as far as that's concerned, but yeah. So you would kind of, I guess, I mean, do you consider yourself kind of falling away or do you consider that you still have the basics of Christianity there? Um, ironically, it was my occult dabbling that sort of brought me back around. I always mm. identified as Calvinist and about, uh, Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel, the guys I was listening to on podcast, Matt Slick, uh, he goes to a Calvary Chapel. He's a Christian apologist and he would always recommend people looking for a church. They're like, I don't know. How do I get in this Christian stuff? I want to go to church. There's so many bad churches out there. Which one should I go to? And he would always recommend Calvary Chapel for the exact reason you said. They yeah. preach through the Bible verse by verse. They don't skip over anything. Right. They don't cherry pick. It's just straight through teaching. And uh, I, I have a lot of respect for him. I used to love to listen to a guy. I can't think of his name on on the on the radio. But um, you know, I dabbled in some stuff in in reading. Rufus Opus's Neoplatonic Basics, and I also read it a little bit, Elifus Levi. The idea attracted me because it talked about the Magi from, uh, you know, the the pretty much magicians who knew astrology and stuff and came to announce uh, Jesus. Uh, sure. So uh, that, that was attractive to me. And I said, hmm, maybe there's some stuff, you know, here that I should look into. And the next thing you know, I was doing ritual, starting out with the Kabbalistic cross and the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram and then the middle pillar ritual. And then I did my first love spell at once I recovered enough from my wife, uh, wife's absence. And then one relationship blow up. So I did this other, this magical thing to try to get another <laughs> replacement, if you will. <laughs> 
And uh, that exploded in my face after a while and really just demolished me more. This was like the most traumatic time in my life at this point. And um, so looking back over that, it's just like digging my hole deeper. And um, I uh, started having these weird synchronicities with spirits that had strabismus in their left eye. Strabismus is where your your eyes aren't centered. One goes kind of off. Hmm. Okay. And uh, <laughs> this is going to get really weird. <laughs> but, that's, uh, that's what this show is about, man. So let's weird it up. I mean, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, yeah, I had, this is, this is when I was, I guess, uh, was dabbling pretty heavily. Um, I had a spirit appear and uh, she was looking out a window and I was on the other side of the window and she was looking directly into my eyes and she had uh, this strabismus thing going on in her left eye and it was the most stunning look on her face. Uh, I've always described it as the the uh, soldiers with the 100-yard stare you see pictures of. Mm-hmm. It was something like that, that you could tell something had happened in her life that was utterly traumatic. And um, I guess the next spirit I encountered, I, I didn't visually see, but I went to the graveyard one day to find a, a spirit to work with. This is uh, while I was reading Rufus Opus's uh, Goetic, a modern Goetic grimoire. And you take these tablets and you drop them off at a uh, grave, and you, it's sort of a Saturn-Mars working, and uh, you essentially work with that spirit. And uh, I came, just kind of wandered in the graveyard, and I came directly face-to-face about in the center of the graveyard with a picture on the grave of this, uh, I think he worked for the sheriff's department, looking right at me and he has strabismus in his left eye and he's, he's got his sheriff's uniform on and the guy was one year younger than me. I think he, I don't know how he died, but he died when he was uh, 35. And, uh, I was like, well, this is the guy. <laughs> and, uh, so I started working with that spirit and, uh, came across another spirit with strabismus. She was a, a native American, uh, writer, I can't think of her name, but translated it, it meant red bird and also strabismus in the left eye. Hmm. So, um, I was like, this is really weird. And, um, I, I started realizing this isn't just some cool, like Dungeons and Dragons type thing. I was like, there's really something going on here. And, um, of course, I didn't have my, um, I would call my initiation until a bit later. There's a, he was a Christian abbot named uh, Trithemius, and uh, he has a system of planetary magic. And um, Rufus Opus and this guy named Ashen Chaucen, I was reading them at the point, at the time, and uh, they tell you to start off with uh i think 
Chaucer said to start off with Saturn. He was going by the Chaldean order of the planets. And uh, Rufus Opus said, no, start off with Jupiter. Well, I picked Venus to start off. So I'm, I'm curious, have you guys heard of this, this type of planetary initiation? No, this is mm-hmm. new to me. This is new to me. I am not as well versed, I think, in the occult stuff. I mean, I, uh, I think um, to me, I've I've looked at it maybe in like a historical context, but like actually digging into a lot of it, I haven't actually dug into some of the occult the rituals and practices. So you know way more than I do. Um, the planetary initiations, they're they are. I'm finding I, since I would have to say what I went through was definitely an initiation. Initiation comes from a word that means kind of stepping through or stepping into. And uh, that's that's essentially my life totally changed. But this idea of traversing, I, I guess you would call it celestial ascent. And uh, a lot of the Egyptian stuff had, you know, all this stuff with star lore. Um where I found a lot of it is uh, Plato's Timaeus, uh, Plotinus, his uh, Aeneids, and uh, then the Hermes Trismegistus, the divine Pymander. And uh, that has a lot of the Neoplatonic, Hermetic sort of ordering of the world. And uh, the idea that... It, it, it sounds really Christian, and this is how I, I kind of eased myself into this because it sounds it sounds very Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Divine Pymander, uh, you have this idea of out of the divine light, um, there's a monad behind that divine light, uh, also called the First Father. And then from out of that light came the Holy Word, or the Logos. So, I mean, who does that sound like to you? Well, yeah, Christ. Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of that, what you just said, sounds a lot like Christian Gnosticism. mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I think um, I heard one of my favorite Calvinistic teachers, R.C. Sproul, he said what Platonism was, was a laying of the foundation for the gospel, the idea of monotheism came in at this point as uh, something widely accepted. The, the ancient philosophers were familiar, they would call it theos, the idea of this monad or this one God that everything emanates out from. And so with the divine Pymander, um, you have the Logos enters this chaotic, unformed darkness and creates a separation with matter. And that's where we get the, the four elemental realms, fire at the top, air below that earth and water at the bottom. And then in this divine Pymander myth, uh, God creates a workman and he's of a dual nature. Um, again, I recognize this from Calvinism, what they call the dual hypostases of Christ. He was both fully man and both fully God at the same time. And so I was like, well, I've heard that before. Right. And so the Logos and the Workman became one with, of this dual nature and created seven governors, each with their own sphere. 
of course, the seven governors are the seven planets. And uh, are you guys keeping up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is is pretty. It's taken me a long time to um, realize what's going on here, but um, yeah, that idea it was obvious to me. The logos is Christ, and uh, the spheres were set in motion by this what uh, the divine primary in it calls the workman, and. Um, it was at that point when the when the spheres were set in motion, when our planets were set in motion in the galaxy, uh, then God made man in, in his image. And so then we go on to, okay, what's man and what is his purpose? And I grasp on to this idea of kingship. And uh, you hear a lot. Of, have you ever heard your pastor talk about co-creating Co-creation with God. I've never heard my pastor talk about it, but I have heard I have heard the term. Yes. Now the early Calvinists, uh, the early Presbyterians, the, uh, the really hard-nosed guy guys um, took this idea of being elect very seriously, yeah. and uh, they, I mean, they they were the rationalists. They they pretty much created the the West as we know it. And so they were very much into this idea of taking the reins and co-creating with God. But you don't see that in Christianity like anymore. Um, I hear a lot of preachers saying, you know, just, you know, let God, let go and let God. Or, you know, you're right where you're supposed to be. Or things like that. And that always disgusted me because... In several generations of my family, very few of them had gone to college. Very few of them had done anything with their life. And so that message never was really attractive to me. And I got on this, you know, that's what magic is about. Change in conformity with your will. And I was like, oh, this sounds pretty good. And then you have this Neoplatonic idea of being priest kings and if you take my name, Aaron, Aaron was the uh, Levitical priest. And then, of course, David, uh, King David. So I'm like, I'm really digging this. <laughs> and uh, I took verses like Second Peter uh, 1, 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, who's called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And uh, then you go to Revelation, and it talks about he has made us kings and priests. So this is very like into the Neoplatonic hermetic idea of being like this king in your sphere of influence. And your sphere is like everything that you experience. So it's really taking control of your life in every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, so <laughs> you want me to talk about uh, the the Venus working? Yeah, yeah, sure. You, have, have you done many of these type of things that you would that you would consider like the the you hear about these in some of the well some of the historical stuff that I've studied, like mm-hmm. the uh, 
well, all the workings. I mean, first of all, what does that mean? The idea of working, and what does that what does that whole thing mean? You call them experiments or workings, or yeah. Um, essentially, it's in your space, your magical space. You're sort of you have a circle, and you're opening the way to. Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's called theurgy. Instead of this idea of um, rationalist approach to conceptual knowledge with theurgy, you're having to direct one-on-one experience. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, in Star Trek's teleporter, teleporting a spirit, spiritual being, an angel right in and uh, having a one-on-one with them. And there's lots of people, magicians out there who have never had that happen, who claim that's that's nonsense or they claim it's in your mind um, or whatever. But the guys uh, like Chaucin, they claim to have summoned uh, spirits to physical manifestation. And uh, after my experience, I believe it. <laughs> so what did you experience? Well, um this was done at a time Procyon, which is a fixed star, uh, was conjunct the planet Venus. And I got the bright idea to um, make a talisman uh, for Procyon. Let's see if I can pull this up real quick. Um, Robson. So uh, you're says, using astrology to, to do this. Yeah. Like you're picking a certain time from right. an astrological, an astrological yeah. window. Okay. Yeah. And I was mixing two approaches. I was mixing an approach from a, a magical book called the Picatrix, and I was mixing it with Solomonic magic. And people I've talked to since then, they're like, oh, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> hmm. um, so my idea was pick this uh, astrological time to uh, make a, uh, talisman of Procyon, which Procyon is Canis Minor. And uh, it's got a really interesting star myth in there I'll get to in a minute. But um, So essentially, I did this Venus, Venus planetary initiation, which is a pretty big deal, uh, just half-assed for the consecration of these talismans I was doing. And I, I didn't really think twice about it. Um, I got in my circle, which I hadn't even finished. They're supposed to have God names for protection all around the circle. Tetragrammaton, Adonai, um, Aheye, you know, these divine names of God literally placed on the circle for your protection. And I should have had the uh, Archangel of Venus, uh, Aniel, on it as well. Well, I didn't do any of that. (laughs) And uh, just kind of half-assed went through this thing. And I went to bed and I had the scariest experience of my life. Um, People around me that have heard this so many times um, say, oh, your dream. And I say, no, 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 no. It wasn't a dream. Uh, This was astral travel. This was in the astral that coincided with things that were going on uh, in the real world. In fact, there were a couple of things like prophecy thing. Let me send you a picture of the thing that I ran into 
in my house in this uh, in this state, if I can pull it up real quick. But um, it was a black goat's head, and uh, it was on my mom's body. And um, this is just part of the story. There is another. It, it, I have it on the Charm of the Water blog, the whole experience and uh, my sort of exegesis of this experience. But essentially, this black goat head pulled its face off and there was just this black void behind it. Uh-huh. And it said, they are all liars. And uh, for the next couple of days, I was just completely shaken after this. And one night I come in and I had a money altar and above it, I had a picture of Christ, very large picture of Christ. The picture had been pulled down off the wall. There was finger streaks all the way down the picture, probably, I don't know, two and a half feet or something Uh across the front of Jesus's face, like two hands just streaked across right the front. And so picture was off the wall it had smashed my money altar there's glass all over everywhere uh and i was like what the heck and then about a day or two after that there's about 30 flies appears in the kitchen where this thing was in this this dream state or this astral Uh uh-huh okay and i mean this was like it was uh you know, we didn't have any windows open. No, there's screens not open. Just all of a sudden, 30 green flies in the house, like huh. at this window that it appeared. It's at. like the Amityville Horror or something. I Yeah. Um, what it made me think of was uh, Joshua Cutchen's book and him talking about these entities and sort of this effect of entropy right. and the sulfur smells. And I'm like, I don't know. It just got me thinking. Did you smell sulfur? Did you have that, that no. sensation? No, I actually had to kill all the flies one by one, though. Which <laughs> you you can't imagine, like the feeling of like going through something like this, knowing it's your fault. You did this. You called something in, <laughs> and uh, is it just now? Am I able to talk about it and laugh about it? Uh, it's been almost seven months ago. So if you, I mean, if you had to think about the symbolism of this event, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think that that means? I mean, the, first of all, the goat, I mean, uh, that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a hell of a motif. No, no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, you see that all the time, right? I mean, yeah. down to the, well, the movie, the witch, Black Phillip, and, yeah. You know, I mean, but also, but then, and then as well, and this is something that we've encountered on the show is it taking the goat mask off and revealing this firm, formless void. And we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about this too, that, you know, that this, this seems to be a motif in some of these encounters where people will have, uh, we'll see people without a face or some kind of mm. formless void. So what what do you think that this all that that means? Do you think that it was something that was do you think it was trying to do you harm or do you think that it was something that it was trying to tell you something? This is uh this is going to be subjective in my interpretation. Right. 
but I mean, I'm so like, I just won't let loose of this because yeah. that's how I was with theology and stuff. It's like, I just can't let loose of it until I understand it. And I mean, for one, a goat, I mean, that's my, uh, that's my sign. I'm a Capricorn. Okay. Uh, but also, I mean, Baphomet, you know, mm-hmm. that is the mm-hmm. symbol of the occult and in more natural magic, like witchcraft, you have the, the sabbatic goat. And, um, I got a really disturbing book, uh, trying to, to cope with this. It was, uh, Tomas Vincente's The Faceless God. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes this thing all the way back to Egypt saying the sabbatical goat and, this Baphomet thing, they all come from this entity that pops up all over the place. It's essentially the devil. <laughs> right, right. And then you have this manifestation of, you know, it, the, I guess the, the marks on the uh, picture of Jesus. Yeah, I know? still left them there. I haven't cleaned that off. Really? Do you, I mean, do you feel like, uh, I think I was going to save this question for a little bit later, but I I, I think that this is a good place to talk about it is, I mean, do you feel like that you, I mean, I know you come from that Christian background. So do you feel Mm -hmm. like that you're possibly opening doors to things that probably you shouldn't? Um, yes and no. (laughs) Uh, I, I went back and took pictures of where this place happened in my dream mm-hmm. and uh, l- looked at the night sky. I pulled up all this uh, astronomy software and matched the stars to the time and place and coordinates of it. And it, essentially, this whole experience kicked off with a circle of lights in the sky in, in this dream state. And I find that that where it appeared in the dream was Scorpio's tail in waking life was there that night, right where the circle appeared because I had a landmark in the dream to go by, uh, which was my uncle's church. Um, so I've, I've been digging and digging and digging in this. And, uh, I, I mean with Christianity, I mean, demons were, almost an everyday thing for the apostles and Jesus. And, you know, I mean, they dealt with them. When's the last time you met a Christian that dealt with a demon? Yeah. I mean, I just don't see Christianity's claims measuring up today. Uh, that's why I, 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 by and large walked away from it because I just found it so empty, so lacking any depth or of spirituality it's just this thing people do on Sundays, and if they're really conservative, they do it on Wednesdays and Sunday nights as well. Um, it doesn't go any further than that. So but, that that goes into more of the charismatic stuff, though, as well, because I mean, in as I understand charismatic Christianity, there is a little bit of this. We are constantly battling demons. We are going back to the first century, essentially, yeah. and we are battling the demons. I mean, you look at like. Uh, What's the name? Bob Larson. I'm sure you've oh, heard my. of him. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I think some of that stuff is fake, but it gets into that ma- that mindset of we are constantly having the de- the battle, the demon of something. Yeah. Um. You know, my my, I I don't I hesitate to call him mentor, but the guy I learned most of what I 
know from Rufus Opus, he came from a uh, charismatic background as well. And he was talking about this one day, uh, saying that, you know, Christians believe that behind everything there's a demon. And he's done quite a bit of work with the Goetia. And he was saying after working with these demons, he said, you know, a demon might not cause every bad thing that happens, but he was like, they're probably present. And I've come to think that these Christians who are so deluded, I do believe there's something demonic about it. They're so ass backwards, so deluded, so delusional that I think it has to be demonic. All these guys on TV uh, taking advantage of the elderly, the, the sick and dying Mm-hmm. Man, if anything's demonic, it's right, that. Right, 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 right. So, Where, where's after, the real evil situated yeah. at exactly? Yeah. And uh, you know, I always go back to uh, you know Paul's term, principalities and powers of the air, and uh, he got that from this these older systems that they're saying the same thing. Uh, that's what this planetary initiation is. There's these gates and they have guardians. Um, they're called uh, sublunary spirits. That would be spirits under the moon are tend by the magicians to all be believed as sort of earthbound, negative, demonic spirits, underworld spirits, nasty, n- nasty creatures. <laughs> yeah. And they're down here with us. So that's, I mean, uh, the, I guess those and the dead are, you know, the spirits we're most likely in to, to encounter. Uh, I do think well, these are my personal opinions that there are angelic beings here and, uh, we deal with these beings on a daily basis, whether we know it or not, uh, right. they're having a, an effect in our lives. And like I said, I, before my experience, I was like, you know, whatever, I don't know. You know, I, I guess, but now I, I mean, this experience has just changed everything and it's thrown me back hmm. into, okay, let, I need to go back and really read all those Parmenides, Proclus, Iamblichus, Macrobius, Cicero's, uh, uh, Scipio's dream. I, that Scipio's dream has the, the first like astral travel account like known i believe Hmm. in it Hmm. and uh so i'm like i i really need to go back now that i i believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt and take a look at all this where it bleeds what it means and so back to answer your question of what do i think that thing was uh i think I, i guess you could call it the devil um alistair crowley uh, said, you know, he one of his most famous workings was a conjuration of Koranzan, who is the demon of the abyss. And uh, sounds see, like, I, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it it came from uh, uh, I can't think of their names right now. Uh, D and Kelly, John D and Edward Kelly, uh, they were the first ones to name this demon Koranzan. And essentially it was their name for the devil. So of course Crowley uh, conjures it. And it said in, in this Thelemic system that 
every magician at one point or another is going to run into Quarenzon. And uh, he's this arch demon of dispersion. Uh, and it's it said that his duty is to engage the initiate in conversation, endless loops of rationalizations that prevent him or her from finally surrendering to transcendent consciousness. Hmm. And after reading that, I was like, that's the thing I ran into. Uh, what it gave me when it said they are all liars was a version of the liar's paradox, which the liar's paradox um, has been keeping philosophers and logicians up for centuries. And it really is a direct challenge to um, the law of non-contradiction in logic, which to Christian apologists, the laws of logic are absolutes and they point to an absolute lawgiver. And so this, this goat thing and saying that they are all liars, man, that echoed in my head forever, which, <laughs> yeah. and uh, so once I latched onto like, wait a minute, that's a liar's paradox and it's challenging. I mean, that's an endless loop. So I, I'm getting ideas. Like uh, I think a lot of occultist is a lot of occultism is not compatible with Christianity. Uh, right, right. But I find it fascinating that, I mean, when I first spoke to you, and of course we didn't get a lot of chance to really dig into it um, on that roundtable, mm -hmm. but I found it fascinating that, that you could be, that you could almost be both. Because I've been yeah. told through my Christian life that you can't be both. But it, it's interesting. But it, it it really intrigues me that concept that you that you, that you could be. I suppose. Yeah, I think it matters how you define Christianity and being a Christian, and it matters how you define the occult. Yeah. Um, for example, a Mormon uh, Baptist isn't going to say a Mormon's a Christian, and and all these you know endless endless uh, divisions within Christianity, you know, well, somebody says, oh, well, I just worship Jesus. And so you, well, then you ask, which Jesus, you know, in Mormonism, Jesus is the brother of Satan, you know, to a, uh, in Islam, Jesus was just this prophet. He's not God at all. It's, and then you, of course you have the Jesus of the uh, TV guys. Who's just this blonde haired, blue, blue eyed guy who wants to just bless your socks off. <laughs> and so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. for me though I don't have to reconcile anything because Jesus has already reconciled everything and I think we get stuck in these categories um, just saying yes I'm a follower of Christ is like enough for me and so I don't have to like one thing that drove me away from Christians is they this this constant uh, asking, is it okay for a Christian to go to a gay marriage? Is it okay for a Christian to yeah. drink? Is it okay for a Christian to do this, that, this, that? And um, they're just eaten up with that. And the answer Paul gave, is yes, all things are allowed me. He said, not all things are profitable, but he had no restrictions. 
Mm. So Christ had reconciled all things. Uh, so I believe that I'm being honored by God. That sounds weird, but in finding real experiences, which I've been after and have not found them, I think my earnestness in seeking the mind of God or seeking God, uh, that's why I'm doing all this, uh, this occult stuff. And uh, it's a long story to get to uh, the the layout of that through Neoplatonic stuff and stuff. But Well, one of the things that I've, I found intriguing, and this is, I mean, I think this is through the lens of, of uh, Alan Moore, but I know that he's really big on Crowley. And one of the things that I think that Crowley wrote about, and this is more lays this out in uh, his comic series, Promethea. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's very much, <laughs> you know, most of more stuff, there's occultism in just about everything. There's occult yeah. elements, but this is basically more through this, through this comic book heroine called Promethea laying out his occult philosophy. And uh, he talks about one of the things he talks about with Crowley is he talks about how you will be faced and encountered with demons at a certain point, but they're just this thing to get past. And once Hmm. you get past them, you can go on to all these other stages. So is that something that you feel like may be happening with you? I think, um, I don't think you're going to get past them. Uh, they, these things are like so old and yeah. so much more wise. I think Crowley was deceived. This is a point of uh, conflict uh, mm-hmm. in magic circles. When Crowley did conjure Koranzon, there's two opinions. One that Crowley did conquer the demon and move on. The other opinion is that Crowley fell and from that moment became what they call a black brother a black adept and essentially was a black magician from that point on. Was Uh, it, uh, was it Crowen's on that he was conjuring in the desert where, well, I mean, where, you know, basically him and his, and the other guy had relations in the little circle. And is that, was that, (laughs) that that the one? I honestly am not sure. I need to get you to talk to my buddy, Frederick Parsifal. Is Thelemic. <laughs> I actually have not read Crowley. I, I think that's. It, I think that's it. This is a documentary that I saw. It was funny. Uh, just as an aside, <laughs> Luke, he's not here. Uh, he told me. He said, "Man, I really was into this occult stuff until I realized it was gay butt sex involved." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now I have heard it some in some of the higher um, degrees of of Thelema, I've heard. Yeah. It. Yeah. Of that, I, I really don't know, but my suggestion would, to people would be go back to the sources if you've got interest in this, because uh, I, I like I say I I find the Lima, um, it doesn't attract me because he just takes revelation and just takes on the role of Satan, Babylon, you know, the beast. So it's just kind of a. a trying to do away with Christianity by assuming the role yeah, of Satan yeah. in my view. So it never was really something I was that attracted to looking into. 
Right. Yeah. But, uh, there's some dark stuff with Crowley for for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll give you a breakdown of the seven spheres and um, a little bit of excerpt from the archangels as encountered by Chaucin. And okay. I think you'll be really surprised at some of the things they say. All right. And by the way, Rob, where's the sound bite? Oh, um, I lost my adapter for my new iPhone 7, which only works with a special adapter. Oh. oh no. No. Well, we, we, we did have the whole Mr. Crowley uh, sound oh, bite nice. from, uh, from uh, Ozzy Osbourne, but it's... <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crowley. <laughs> there, I just did it. <laughs> yeah, your version's better anyway. Uh, that reminds me, um, Jake Stratton Kent. Have you guys heard of him? Uh, I Mm-mm. the name sounds familiar to me. He's kind of like up and coming. Like his his name's getting bigger and bigger. More respect. He denies any transcendent uh, thing in magic. Denies the celestial. I don't want to speak for the guy, but he's very big into the chthonic and um, the underworld sort of concept and, and denying the this idea of transcendence. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's saying if you like Crowley or not, if you're into hermeticism, you should read the guy because he's got some interesting things to say. But, um, speaking of Jake Stratton Kent, he thought my experience had to do with Procyon. And said it sounded like something, an effect from that. Now, Rufus Opus said it sounded like, he said, I hate to get thelemic on you, but it sounds like you're experiencing chaos and Babylon, which are the, the two central figures in the Gnostic mass. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so I don't know, man, but the, this planetary thing, I'll just give you a little example of, of why, why as a king of your, your kingdom, your sphere, uh, which is your life, everything, every aspect of your life, everything you experience would be your kingdom and uh, why you would want to initiate yourself into these um, these planetary spheres. So Jupiter, um, it's, uh, the Sapphira of Hesed on the Tree of Life. Have you guys seen that thing? The Kersher Tree of Life. Yeah. So this is yeah. about grace, authority, rulership, power, expansion. So this is, in Rufus Opus's idea, the first planet you would want to come to to establish the authority of your rulership in your sphere. And uh, the archangel is Satchiel, and it means righteousness of God or covering of God. Now, Ashen Chaucin both Rufus Opus and Ashen Chaucin were big into working this planetary system of uh, 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 Trithemius. And uh, so Chaucin has a scryer, and in his latest book, uh, they go conjure these archangels for Chaucin. It's a second time. And one of they have a, a role of questions they ask the spirit. Uh, n- number one, they ask in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit and Son to swear uh, that the Spirit is who it says it is. And after that, they ask him what the Spirit's office is. So this is the sphere of Jupiter. Uh, this is what Satchiel replied to Chaucin and what is his, his office. 
He says, the confident, jovial rule of my father, I give the wealth of confidence. I give the bounty of action. I make a throne for all living beings that they may sit and remember the shard of sovereignty that they carry is of God, that is of El, that is of Elohim, who is older than the Hebrews, older than Sumer, and what brought men out of darkness. Mm. Now, for me, that that was shocking. Um, Chaucer is the only guy who's claiming to contact planetary archangels, and they're telling him stuff like this. Kind of this reminds sounds, you of like Prometheus or something. Hmm, I've got to get that. I haven't read that. Uh, well, you're like talking Prometheus, about Alan Moore? Yeah, the god Prometheus, the uh, the giver of oh, fire, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. I'll just move on to Mars. Uh so Jupiter, you go to, you initiate into, you've established your authority in your your kingdom. Mars is the uh, Sapphira of Gabura. This is uh, the law of your kingdom, defense, offense. So at times, your kingdom may need to go to war. Uh, the archangel of Mars is Samael, and it means venom of God. And I'll give you a little example uh, experience that Chaucer had with Samael. He asked what Samael's office is. And Samael says, I am the fierceness of God, the sword that obeys his will, that cuts through injustice, ignorance, deception, lies, sloth, and arrogance. I leap like a flame through dry grass. I sing the fury of my father and coast upon the wings of flame. I open the chest of men to expose their hearts to the creator. Hmm. So this, this isn't exactly sounding like the occultism you would expect, right? Yeah, true. Uh, you want me to continue on with the, yeah, the other? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, the sun, um, Crowley claimed Lima is a religion, a solar religion. Uh, all your solar deities and various cultures, um, they, they, uh, they fight darkness in the universe. Uh, so, uh, in your kingdom, this would have to do with leadership, you know, the realizing of nobility that you are of God, that you carry the Imago Dei, the image of God, you were made in God's image. Uh, this, the anointing of kingship crystallizes in the sphere of Tifereth or the sun. It's the sphere of empowerment of the savior crucified and reborn in power, glory. Mm. Uh, the initiation is, is the establishment of your kingdom and more so your purpose and with purpose, responsibility. So, I mean, you get the idea of the sun feeds the kingdom it ensures the health and growth of that which is in the kingdom. Um, it's where divine authority is found. And here, I know you guys will know about Michael, the archangel of the sun. Right. Uh, with paranormal stuff. Uh, Michael's prayer, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like he is considered, well, his name means unto the likeness of God. And so his, his role 
his office is like this um, defender of the universe type warrior, slayer of darkness. I've got a little statue. I, I think years ago I got a TBN, <laughs> and it's a uh, it's an image of Michael, and he has Satan underfoot. Right, right, yeah. That's a famous picture in the bot. Yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. From Chaucer's experience uh, with the conjuration of Michael, this is what he has to say to Chaucer in in the reply to the question, "What his office is?" Michael says he is the Fierce love of God that lays low the obstacles that stand in the way of the Father's light and music. Michael teaches mankind by slaying the dragon within. He is the roar of the lion that upon hearing no evil can withstand. He calls us to fight our battles first inside and to waken our fellow man to the knowledge that all struggles are within. Uh, You know, with all, all this political stuff and um division like out there uh it's always you're always fighting something externally the person who doesn't agree with you the person who's trying to you know in your eyes ruin everything you know do away with christianity prayer in school abortion you know everybody's fighting for these like external mm-hmm ideas of who should be doing what. Mm-hmm. And so Michael's message is like, you know, take care of your internal fights first and then teach people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What a novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> what, so, does, you know, what does, what does Saturn what does, oh, what does Saturn fit in here? Because yeah, I, I, it might get boring going through all these. Saturn is the most interesting. Uh, that's the planet that rules Capricorn, that rules myself. Uh, Capricorn, I mean, Saturn explains my uh, personality a lot. It's the sphere of Benah. It's the beginning and end of all things, birth and death, time, limitations, restriction, boundaries. Uh, it's a malefic it's not a pleasant, you know, in, in old uh, astrology, they, they don't call them malefics anymore. They're much more new agey about it. But it wasn't something good in uh, the ancient systems, but necessary. Um, so Saturn in your personal kingdom would be in charge of expanding boundaries or restricting boundaries, Um There are things that are born into our kingdoms, things that die away. Those are all things under Saturn's rule. And uh, the archangel is Cassiel. And one possible meaning of that is speed of God. Cassiel is like essentially the grim reaper. Mm. Uh, I've heard of people doing conjurations and initiating into this sphere and having experiences with the dead. Um all kinds of creepy, creepy. I mean, you imagine everything that comes along with the Grim Reaper and death. Uh, some of the most bizarre, weird, freaky experiences are with this sphere. I had a friend that uh, actually saw this friend not too long ago, uh, yesterday, in fact. I had a friend that when he was younger, he used to see the Grim Reaper all the time. Like he'd have this, like he'd go out at night. And like he'd be driving around, and like he would drive, and he would see the Grim Reaper on the side of the road. Mm. Like he would tell me this, Jesus, and like it was just the creepiest terrifying. thing, dude. I like I don't. Even, 
<laughs> I don't think I would that, like come back from that. And yeah, be yeah, normal. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, to as a magician, um, not only calling on Christ, Michael, going to the sphere of Saturn may be some place to go to take place to this. Calling on the Archangel of Cassiel. Uh, that's one problem I I had with you know coming out of Protestantism. It's not okay to deal with anybody but Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, the Catholics, they pray to saints and stuff. Right. But I mean, in a way, uh, that's true. But at the same time, I mean, in the Bible, two archangels of the Bible are Gabriel and Mikael. So um, they, I believe there's this whole entire hierarchy and uh, God doesn't do everything himself. He has all these beings, archangels, angels, you know, even uh, nature spirits, I'd go as far. So, Aaron, I want to ask you this about um, you know your background in charismatic Christianity, and now your experiences with the occult. What practices do you see that are similar, or are even the experiences that you had in charismatic Christianity experiences and practices that you see are similar from charismatic Christianity? to the occult. Do you see anything that's similar there? A little bit. Um, the, the idea of this ecstatic thing, I see this more in sort of natural magic with traditional witchcraft and, you know, this idea of rubbing henbane ointment on and stripping down naked (laughs) and getting into this ecstatic state. Um, that's what charismatics love to do, minus the nakedness and henbane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you've read Grape, Grapes of Wrath, the preacher in that quits being a preacher because they would go out in the field and they would have these ecstatic experiences. And it would always end with the cre- uh, the preacher sleeping with one of the women in the congregation in, out in the field. They would get so ecstatic and it, he would just almost this animal likeness would come in him and he he would end up doing that. So he got so disgusted with himself, he quit being a preacher. So that I do see, um, I would see in, in the care, in my cousin's church, just a few years ago, I would see things like women getting in. It's, it's such an ecstatic state. They would let out yells like Xena, the warrior princess (laughs) saw one woman bark like a dog. Hmm. Um, there was tales of the Toronto outpouring, people leading people around like dogs. The most bizarre behavior you can imagine. Uh, so it kind of reminds you of the voodoo type um, letting right. spirit, spirits right. ride you. Right. So, yeah, uh, but I, I don't see any of that in ceremonial type high magic, I guess you would call it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, uh, it, it, uh, it makes me wonder, what do you think about demonic possession? What do you think about that? Do you think that there is something, is an external force that is working on people? Or do you think, because cause what you just described there, I mean, you could almost say that barking like a dog and that kind of thing. You could mm-hmm. almost say that that's the same kind of phenomenon as what you see as like a demonic possession. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? Uh, yeah. From that coming from a super conservative um Pentecostal church, that type of behavior, uh, it's like when they're not in that ecstatic state, 
um, you know, they're, they're the most like conservative fear, God fearing people there are, but man, when they hit that state, it's, it all breaks loose. And, um, I, I always thought it dangerous and critics of the charismatic movement within Christianity called it dangerous. Like John MacArthur is an example. Mm-hmm. Um, he was saying talking in tongues, that's what the pagans do. They do that too. They yeah. fall down. Yeah. They fall down and twerk and do all these things, fall out in the, what's called the spirit. He said, that's, I remember him saying this over and over. The, there's no scripture being slain in the spirit. That's not in the Bible, but that's a big deal. I mean, if you watch Benny Hinn in his jacket, slaying people right and left. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think it opens up uh, this ec- is ecstatic states to spirits, demonic spirits, maybe yeah. even the dead. Um, is not something I could reach. I, I'm just, I can't get out. I guess I could in my own bedroom, you know, I'll, I'll dance when nobody's looking. <laughs> sure. But I've, I've never gotten to the point of barking or howling or anything like that. <laughs> I, to you me, see, people, go ahead, go ahead. People getting that open are opening themselves to anything that may be going by for a, a walk in. Yeah. I mean, that's why some of it made me so uncomfortable. Of just like a, a lot of that stuff, like the speaking in tongues. I mean, that stuff's just weird to me, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and not to mention the fact that not only is it weird, but I'm just like, you could just be saying anything, dude. I mean, you could just be making this shit up. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I just, it, it just, I'm very skeptical of it, honestly. From well, I think from a from a point of view of both. I, I almost have like a the spiritual point of view being skeptical of it, and then mm-hmm. the rational point of view being skeptical of it. Like yeah. on one hand, it could be real, but real, but where is it coming from? And the second hand yeah. is, well, you just could be making it up, and you're a charlatan. You know? Yeah. What fascinated? I think a lot of them do just make it up. But what fascinated <laughs> yeah. me? Uh, I, mean, I experienced it, and I wasn't trying to do it. I mean, I just woke up out of a dead sleep doing it. Right. <laughs> but, what fascinated me was Terrence McKenna has this spiel on speaking in tongues, glossolalia, uh-huh. and he actually does it. And he talks about in deep states of the mushroom, like talking in tongues. I, I was going to say there's a lot of similarities there between other altered states, you know, namely hallucinogenically induced ones. Yeah, when when I heard McKenna talking about it, it sort of changed my uh, my thinking on on the the dumb old Pentecostals and their tongues. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry out there. I don't, I don't mean to offend anybody. Like I said, I've come around from, I was one and then I, yeah. I sort of, you know, rejected them. And now I've come back around to reexamining some of this stuff and be like, wait a minute. Right. Right. And, and you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage anybody for their beliefs or what they believe in. I mean, there's people that I know that are, that are charismatic and, you know, I respect them. Uh, it's just like, for me personally, there is just like, I, I just don't, I, I'm just not comfortable with it. I guess that I'm not a very, I don't know. I just like the demonstrative stuff just doesn't work for me. I suppose. Yeah. I think it comes down to this. If you're earnestly seeking the divine, yeah. the mind of God, 
Um, it doesn't matter what denomination you are or where you are in history or anything. I believe that the divine will honor that seeking and meet you there. Um, I think in all these categories, we get so lost. Um, I think if you're trusting in the Catholic Church's doctrine or mm-hmm. Baptist doctrine or anybody's doctrine, you're just going to, you're not going to have it. But you're, if you're within that structure and uh, earnestly seeking, I think I think you can have a, a uh, theurgic experience anywhere. Anybody can. And any worldview. Right. Uh, and just to say too, you know, there's, there's aspects of the occult that bother me as well. You know, it's not just charismatic Christianity. So we're talking about two things here that, that I, that in some ways I'm not very comfortable with, but uh, I want to ask you about the ancestor worship thing, because this is interesting. This is something that I uh, had not heard of as being anything in the mainstream occultism, but uh, apparently there's this idea of, ancestor worship and really just coming from that round table with you and then listening to some of your earlier shows, you do talk about this a lot. So I'm curious what this is. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't really in high magic, uh, ceremonial magic, uh, until, you know, we we're in the age of information now and we can kind of look and see what they're doing over in Kambanda or, uh, Lukumi, or, or, uh, Palo or, you know, we can, kind of check each other out. And so it's really come to, um, I mean, like in, in, uh, Asian, uh, countries, this has been like a thing that's going on. You know, they all, I remember seeing some paranormal show and it had talking about, uh, this experience where the ancestor came out of this sort of ancestral altar. And so I thought it was interesting but um, yeah, and hoodoo is the particular one I picked up and ran with. And hoodoo, it's called a Blackhawk bucket, or at least that's how I started. And I started adding ancestral items around that. Um, I, I can give you my experience. Uh, the first one, this is my dad had died, and uh, I uh, created this. Blackhawk bucket, what you have to do is go to the graveyard and dig up some graveyard dirt, and which is exciting, you know, the <laughs> thrill of that. And uh, you do other few little things, and and then you just talk to your ancestors. Uh, and that night I went to bed and had a dream about my dad, and my dad introducing me to this little short man, only about three feet tall, named Edward. And Edward and I had a huge conversation that went on and on and on. And I can't remember it, but I remember walking off with Edward and my dad kind of being on on a bench. And as I was so touched emotionally, I was crying. And then this kind of resolution had happened and Edward and I were walking off. And I, I kind of laughed and smiled and I said, so Edward, how are we related? And he just was like I, I don't really know and i woke up <laughs> <laughs> and uh so that was like i was like that's that's, a, that's not the type of dreams i typically have and so i've had some other interesting experiences uh what you do is uh, those ancestors you wish to work with that um 
you believe are close, you know, close to you, uh, you just set up little bowls of water and you can, you know, on their birthday, put out a little offering or whatever. But, you know, I can see Christians as being like, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. But uh, I, I look to the paranormal. The paranormal is what kind of said, you know, maybe there's something to this because so many people have experiences of their dead family members coming to them in time of crisis or in dreams or right. whatever. That's, and so to me, it's happened it's to a, me. I've, I've had that really? happen to me. Yep. Mm-hmm. So me, it was, it was a logical conclusion that in the spiritual world, your ancestors are around you. If we go by these experiences that are coming in. Right. Yeah, I, I do have a theory about that, just as as an aside of just like, you know, um, I, I do believe where our loved ones communicate to us is mostly in dreams. Mm-hmm. Like I have, I have had dreams of my grandmother that passed away when I was eight years old. I was very close to her. And mm-hmm. I will, at times, and I guess you 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 are correct. Sometimes that there are the dreams that, that happen when you are going through something yeah. and they are telling you something in the dream. You may not consciously remember it, but maybe subconsciously you do. Yeah. And I, and I've had this dream of being in my backyard and she's there and we're talking and you know, it's very pleasant. It's not scary. It It is what it is. Um, and I believe that they will come to you in that way because if they show in another way, they may scare the hell out of you. Yeah. So I, I mean, I can I can absolutely see that, um, for sure. I mean, that's something in my own experience. I can say, yeah, I've had that. And then I guess also the symbolism. You know, my grandmother, she's really into cardinals. So huh. if I have, and this could be psychology, it could be. But, you know, in my own mind, if I'm going through something and I see a cardinal, my mind goes to say that everything's going to be okay, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I guess that there is that that certain amount of your ancestors looking after you, I suppose. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the, the Neoplatonic Animus Mundi, the, the spirit over the world, mm-hmm. which sort of points to this animism type idea, which I'm not sure what I make of, but I totally believe that you know, uh, scripture talks about us, uh, seeing signs in the, in the stars and, uh, various signs and, and stuff. I mean, you think about the cock crowing three times and, uh, that was part of nature, uh, pointing to something. So I totally believe in all those signs and the folklorish, you know, reading of the, of nature. Right. But about the ancestor altar thing. I, I even hesitated to call it an altar or ancestral worship. Um, I just look at it as a way of, uh, about weekly I'll change the water out and it's just kind of, you know, acknowledging them and their memory. And, uh, that's, that's how I look at it. I, I don't consider it worship of, of any type. Well, is that not what we essentially do anyway, when we go to our loved one's grave and we put flowers there, or we put a teddy bear, we put some kind yeah. of memento. I yeah, mean, that's is a good that point. not kind of what we do anyway? And I mean, people yeah. do that really without even thinking about it. 
Yeah, it's it's paying respect, but on another side of it, it's also very ritualistic. Yeah. There's a veneration yeah, it, there. Mm. And so this is just, a, I mean, I've, I'm reading a little bit about uh, near-death experiences and how before we got into that, there was this taboo on death and how we've, in the West, have moved death. I mean, we used to have them in our houses and people coming right. in for days. Right. We moved all that out. Uh, so the little ancestor altar, bringing a little piece of earth from the graveyard from your the actual grave of your your dead one is it's like bringing a little bit of that back in, in mm-hmm. <laughs> that we've moved out. Our people that are cremated, keeping the urn on the mantelpiece. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right about that because, like, I think you know this being from West North Carolina. Well, my family is originally from Eastern Tennessee, and like my father was able to trace back a certain bit of our ancestors because there's a picture of everybody gathered around a dead guy in a coffin. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, that was a common practice. Like, yeah. death was not... Death was not an unusual occurrence. It wasn't sanitized. I mean, yeah, I think that's part of our problem in the West, that we we don't even acknowledge death. Yeah. And, you know, talking about this fear of Saturn, uh, that's dealing with it in a big way. But, I, yeah, I don't think people, until they get sick or something realize their mortality and i think that that's something we really need to individually latch on to is realizing that one day you know we're gonna die and that for me this experience i had was part of the change it brought on was that and me coming to the realization was i I don't have forever here i don't know how much longer i have and i need to do something that matters. And so in magic, they talk about the magnum opus, the great work, finding your true will. And it just really triggered that realization for me is I I really need to get busy. And uh, in fact, the woman in the experience, uh, she said, I don't want you watching TV. Hmm. And uh, like I say, it's a long experience. You can find it on, on charm, the water blog, but I took it to heart. Uh, I said, I really need to stop entertaining myself and really, I mean, this, this, this stuff's real. So I, I really need, it, it changed everything for me. So I, it may have been the devil. It may have been a demon, you know, whatever it was, it changed me for the better having mm-hmm. an experience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. I hear you, brother. I hear you there. Uh, Aaron, I, I could talk to you all night, man. I think this is we we could this, we've only scratched the surface of how <laughs> deep we can go with this. So I think we're going to need to do another interview. But tell people where they can find Charm the Water and how people could get in touch with you as well. Yeah, um, CharmTheWater dot com. Also on iTunes or your pa- favorite pod feeder. Um, you can contact me through Charm the Water Facebook page or uh, Charm the Water at Gmail or whatever uh, and I if you don't mind I'll leave you guys with uh, the words of Scipio's grandfather Scipio Africanus this was the guy who took down Hannibal mm-hmm. and uh, he's out in the astral and he's telling his grandson this but if you look upwards and contemplate this eternal goal and abode you will no longer give heed to the gossip of the common herd 
nor look for your reward in human things. Know therefore that you are a God, if indeed a God is that which quickens, feels, remembers, or sees, and in the same manner rules, restrains, and impels the body of which it has charge. As the supreme God rules the universe that is mortal in part, so an everlasting mind moves your frail body. Wow. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely well, Rob, is there anything that you wanted to ask or say? Or? Um, yeah, real quick. I just wanted to, when you mentioned the, the goat light figure, to me that, that conjures more of a um, Celtic pagany kind of a, mm-hmm. um, the horn god versus like the goddess kind of a concept rather than a, a demonic or Satan kind of a thing. But yeah, it, just uh, for me personally. Serenos, I believe is the god you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, in Wicca, it's the horn god and the right. lady. And essentially, as I understand it, in Thelema, that's sort of chaos in Babylon. It's that same kind of idea. Right. It's, you know, the dichotomy of nature representing the yeah. death, dark, male yes. aspects yes. of everything. You know, if it was evil, I mean, it could have scared me in a lot worse ways and tormented me. But, um, yeah, I don't think it was its pure intent was to uh, to horrify me, but it sure gave me an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pure intent. Yeah, it, it whatever its intent is, it still probably would make me crap my pants. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Aaron. Stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and guys, we'll be right back. To close out the show. So I think my mind is absolutely blown. I think I'm totally exhausted. What do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty tired. Um, but, but that I I need to re-listen to it because I could like I've studied yeah. um I studied a lot of occultish things mo- more on like the the Wiccan side, pagan side of stuff. Like I've never I I never heard of any of the the stuff he was talking about. It was interesting though. Yeah, I think he's much more like I said, and I think he's much more into it than 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 I am for sure. Like I've kind of like just from like historical point of view or from the viewpoint of like conspiracy theory, I've studied it, but not like in the way that he's gotten into it, man. Right. And it's pretty in depth. What does uh what does Terrence McKenna talk about? Because I've heard him I've heard Aaron mention this and I think I've heard um Joshua Cutchin mentioned this as well. So what's McKenna? Because you've read some of McKenna's stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what did he reference with Terrence. It was um he's talking it was about, about altered the speaking states. in tongues in that respect. Um, I think he was, I think he was mainly talking about um getting to that point of um complete openness and stuff that like you know ayahuasca or DMT would bring you, but getting there naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think that um a lot of the the charismatic Christians that what they're doing is they're putting themselves into like unwittingly into a trance thinking that they're, they're connecting to God or whatever, but they're just, they're, they're really just um, completely letting go of their inhibitions and letting whatever kind of take over. And that's why you get like, you know, crazy ladies barking or, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's, that's all it is. It's just, it's an altered state of consciousness. 
Well, have you ever seen like the snake handling stuff? I've seen videos. Like, I mean, that's kind of similar in a way. Like they do those dances with the snakes and, you know, it, it kind of puts everybody in a <clears throat> trance. And it's almost like you know, they, some anthropologists have looked at that and then looked at like something in a more tribal society, like in Africa or New Guinea and those areas and said, you know, this is very similar to the dances and stuff that they do. So it's like, you know, it's a continuation of of a primitive way of worship, you know. Yeah, I was watching a video the other day, and this isn't really related, but it was just cool, on Facebook where there's this um, guy in, in some, some African village somewhere, and there was um, like a king cobra, maybe it was India, I don't know where they are. India. It must have been India. Yeah. And like... You know, he he was kind of like like faking it out with his hands and stuff, and then he did this thing where he grabbed it and just like pet it just right, and the thing just like went limp. Yeah, in his hand, and he just throws it over his shoulder and like walks off. Like, to yeah, go over you these gotta wonder. Yeah, you gotta wonder if like there's <laughs> like the, that one bite from that thing, you're done. Yeah, I know. And it's like you gotta wonder if if, if, if when people go into that trance, they're able to, I don't know, maybe the motions or whatever, because like if you see the snake handlers, the way they got the snakes, the snakes are just like they're. They don't. Right. They don't care anymore. They're just like limp <laughs> as hell. Right. Yeah. There's you know. There's some interesting stuff going on there, but I don't think it's a connection to God that's protecting them from the snakes. Well, it could be that this, that the animals are being put in some kind of trance as well. That or that the people are just so in such like a heightened, um, uh, just sort of like a I don't know, just just they're in such a state of mind that they're just like yeah. Radiating some kind of something energy, yeah. maybe I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's that. That is imminently fascinating. <coughs> um, I thought this was interesting. I I had never heard of this before until Aaron um brought this up. But this is it: the Somnium Scipionis, the Dream of Scipio, written by Cicero. <coughs> If you've ever been in Latin class, you've read some Cicero, so <clears throat> probably hated it too. But uh, he was talking about this as being like the first account of an astral projection. Yeah, that was interesting. And this is from the Book of Knowledge, Wikipedia, nice. um, talking about what happens in the Dream of Scipio. Upon his arrival in Africa, a guest at the court of Massinissa. Scipio Emilianus is visited by his dead grandfather by adoption, Scipio Africanus, hero of the Second Punic War. He finds himself looking down upon Carthage from a high place full of stars, shining and splendid. His future is foretold by his grandfather, and great stress is placed upon the loyal duty of the Roman soldier who will, as a reward after death, inhabit that circle that shines forth among the stars, which you have learned from the Greeks to call the Milky Way. Nevertheless, Scipio Emilianus sees that Rome is an insignificant part of the earth, which is itself dwarfed by the stars. The planetary spheres are enumerated with references to Pythagorean thought and the idea of the music of the spheres. Then the climactic belts of the earth are observed from the snow fields to the deserts, and there is discussion of the nature of the divine, the soul, and virtue from the Stoic point of view. So... Astral projection, seeing the stars, you know, it makes me think of also the contactee um, literature as well. If if, I don't know if you ever looked into that from like the 50s and the 60s when people would say that the the Venusians or the Palladians would take them on their 
their spacecraft and they would see the they would see the earth and the moon and the planets and the stars and yeah it's very similar in that in that vein right yeah yeah really makes you think like what's really going on we're getting some kind of is it is it an astral projection is it altered state of consciousness very possibly stoicism is interesting too if you've ever looked into that but that's all ancient philosophy Right. And the music of the spheres, and and Aaron was, uh, Aaron was actually he was bringing that up, the planetary spheres. Yeah, of what those are. I mean, this is stuff from this is old, Plato. old stuff. Yeah, I mean, up into like Copernicus, and of course, it only goes up to well, the the sun and the moon are included, and Saturn's the last one because they didn't find well. Uranus, I could say they didn't find Uranus until 1700-something. So nobody knew it was actually there, and then Neptune was Neptune, later. Neptune and Pluto, yeah. But well, yeah so, or Pluto's not even a planet anymore. So. Yeah, so you had the sun. Well, you had the Earth. Earth actually was in the middle of the solar system, right? Yep. And Earth was probably flat. Yep. Still is, according to some people. <laughs> um, but you had the the moon... Mercury, Venus, Sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Those were the planetary spheres. And those are talked about also in um, in Dante in the uh, Divine Comedy, the Paradiso, which is just a kind of like the a map out of what they believed, the medieval mind believed about the universe, basically. Um. Guys, we are, this is episode 149. We are approaching episode 150. Oh, yeah. So not as like a very special time as like episode 100 or even episode 50 was for me back in the day, which was nearly three years ago. Uh, We've been doing this for five years. You've been with us for two and a half. Yeah. Uh, And... So, but we are going to have a just a round table, and we should have Soraya, Where Did the Road Go, Joshua Cutchin, and Red Pill Junkie, who often do round tables on Where Did the Road Go, but I wanted them to join us as well. So, and we should have, we'll try to have most of the whole crew here. I think uh, Heather will be here as well to sit in, sit in with us. So, it'll be epic. Yeah, it should be epic. We may have to kind of do the round table and then maybe do like 30 minutes of just us. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah. Might have to It'll be hard it to get way. that many voices a chance to. Yeah. Everybody's going to be, you know, on top of each other. It's, you know, especially Alyssa cause she drowns everybody out. Like I've been told. So Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Alyssa, <laughs> but I did get some good response off the last, last romper room. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, I got the guy posted on Facebook. Uh, I haven't responded yet, but uh, he, he posted on Facebook that he only got 17 minutes in. And apparently we're trolls because we call Trump racist or something. Uh, I don't I don't know how exactly how that works, <laughs> but uh, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, guys, we still do have the Patreon up. Uh, we actually did get a Patreon. Uh, hey. Someone signed up for the five dollar tier. Uh, if you got, I don't know if you got everything out to the to him yet, but uh, it's uh, he did sign up and should have had access to the Joshua Cutchin show. 
Um, and then we also got a want to thank Wes Owsley, uh, a good friend that came to see us all the way from Russia last year, gave us a donation of three hundred dollars. So thank you so much, Wes, for doing that. That's yes. gonna that's gonna take care of the, paying for the show for quite a good few months. So, uh, but guys, uh, we're gonna close out the show. Uh, we, you know, want to thank Aaron Daver for being here. Thank you, Rob, for being here. Always. I live here. You, yeah, that's right. You live here. I mean, this is your studio. This is your thing. Uh, I think we should play some William Hung, man. What do you think? <laughs> I, think I think we should end it with some William Hung. I think that you should just sing it for us, personally. Welcome to the Hotel California. So beautiful. Oh, it is. It's wonderful. It's Should I try out for The Voice next year, do you think? Uh, think I can get on there? No. Oh, okay. They're not that you're bad. Mm-hmm. They're just they're looking for you know. You're into my dreams. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you just don't have the confidence at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got. I mean, you can go in there with all kinds of confidence. It just depends on what, <laughs> how good a voice you got. Yeah, that helps too. Yeah. <laughs> it is called the voice. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much, and we will be back. Remember, uh, Patreon is www www.patreon.com uh, backslash conspiranormal or is it forward slash? I always forget that. It's backslash. Backslash. Yeah. Backslash conspiranormal and then also we have the donations button on our website which is under the Patreon uh, on our website www.conspiranormal.com there is a Patreon button there but below it uh, Rob, you've got a little donations button as well. That's right. If you and want to be a patron. And yeah, click on the Patreon link. Come check us out and join the community. We're going to post a little special bonus episodes and little blogs. Yep. And uh, like Adam said, we got we got one member this week, and we're hoping to grow it, and we'll all be able to collaborate together and and do some fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for listening, and we will be back next time on Conspiranormal. William Hung. I can see it, then I can do it, if I just believe it, there's nothing to it, I believe I can fly, I believe I can touch Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.